I've never had the chance to meet you, my name's Scott. I get to be the pastor here at Novation Church. It's a privilege, and uh, we're excited for what God's doing today. You know, we're bombarded on a daily basis with information. How many have figured that out? If you have a smartphone, Fox News, CNN, whatever, we get uh, news and information at our fingertip. And often, it's not good news. Often, it's bad news. It's stuff that makes you go, man, what's going on in this world And uh, there's a a magazine called U.S. News and World Report. And in U.S. News and World Report, they have a little small section. It's called News You Can Use. And it's concise. I like that. Um, It's just quick information, bite-sized things that, that I can use for my life that we can use. Well, the Bible says that the death and resurrection of Jesus is good news. It's, that's what the word gospel means, is good news. That it's good news that you and I can use and have a new life and have hope beyond this world. Today, as uh, Grant said, and we're starting the series on the AD. And we're kind of piggybacking, piggybacking on the, the show that's going to happen tonight at, at 8 o'clock on NBC. The makers of the Bible series, the Son of God movie... They're taking what happened next. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. If you're not familiar with the Bible um, or you're not familiar with church, that's okay. You're in the right place. Novation Church is the place where you can, you can belong and learn before you believe or feel like you have this thing figured out or not. But the book of Acts follows the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. So after Jesus was resurrected, there's an amazing story, 28 chapters in the book of Acts, of how this message of the resurrection of Jesus went throughout the world. And so they're going to, for 12 weeks, show the first 10 chapters of Acts. What we're going to do is we're going to take the highlights of the book of Acts. There's some very, very important things for us to learn that we can apply. We're going to do that over the next several weeks. To benefit the most from this series, if you would go to novationchurch.org backslash ad you'll find out all the things that, that, that resources and things that we have put together for you to get the most out of this. The first and most important one is we're going to start reading the book of Acts tomorrow together. There's a, a reading plan that when you go on there, you'll see it. It takes you right to Bible Gateway if you have a smartphone or whatever. And you can read it on your own. Just follow. There's some paper outlines of what the reading plan is. But Monday through Friday, there's, there's five reading plans a week. In over seven weeks, you'll read through the book of Acts. So some of you maybe are new to the Bible. This would be an opportunity for you to kind of get in a habit of reading the Word on a daily basis, which would be great for you. Second thing is this. We have home groups. And home groups are just uh, people have Bible studies and fellowships in their homes throughout the area this near the school and different parts of of the city. And I want to encourage everybody to go to a home group. Just all you have to do is commit for the next seven weeks that you would go to a home group. You're going to take what we learn on Sunday and go a little deeper. If for some reason you cannot make a midweek home group happen, we have a class that will start next week at 845 and you can go a little deeper. It's going to be led by by Darcy and his wife, Annette. So many of you have taken classes with them before. And then uh, the last part is watch the series start tonight. I know we're going to watch it tonight and just see the, the drama, drama portrayed of what happened throughout the book of Acts. Today we're going to talk about this, how the resurrection changed everything. The death and resurrection of Jesus is 
It is the cornerstone of our faith. It's the starting place. And Acts is that continuation of it. The book of Acts was written by a man named Luke. He also wrote the gospel of Luke. Luke was not a a seminary trained guy. He was a doctor. He was a physician. And he was an eyewitness to all that happened in the book of Acts. So I want to read Acts chapter 1, 1 through 8 for you. And together, you don't have to read it out loud, but I'm going to read it for you and follow along um, on the screen if you would. It says this. It says, in my former book, Theophilus. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. You got to stop there for a second. They had walked with Jesus for three years. They saw him get crucified. And then he comes raised from the dead and appears to them. He eats with them. He talks with them. He instructs them. Let that sink in of why the gospel and why the truth about Jesus blew up in the world immediately after that. They saw it. It says he he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Let me just give you a quick on that. Who was John? John the Baptist was the the guy that was Jesus' cousin, and he was the forerunner to Jesus. He kind of set the stage for what Jesus was going to do. And he preached a baptism of repentance to prepare people's hearts for the coming of Jesus and what he was going to do. So that's what that means there. Jesus is talking about the day of Pentecost that was going to happen Shortly after he spoke this to his disciples, it says, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Many people throughout history have claimed to be God. What do we do with people who claim to be God? Cuckoo, right? I mean, we, we consider them nut jobs, right? Somebody claims to be God. Jesus claimed to be God. And what separates Jesus from anybody that's ever claimed to be God is he proved he was God. All the people who'd claimed to be God in history, when they died, they stayed dead. But Jesus rose from the grave and he proved it by appearing to his disciples. He rose from the grave. He didn't stay dead. So how does the resurrection change everything? First thing I want you to recognize this morning is it changed history. It changed history. We went from B.C. to A.D. Jesus' death and resurrection literally split history in two. Now, sometimes people think that A.D. means after death. That's not what it means. It's a Latin term, anno domine, and it means the year of our Lord. That's what A.D. means, the year of our Lord. And so this life and death and resurrection of Jesus cut history into two pieces. And his resurrection from the dead becomes the reference point by which all of history looks at now as we look and wait for his second coming. So every time you have a birthday, every time you write a check, every time you look at a calendar, we're reminded of this truth that the death and resurrection of Jesus split history into two. It changed history. 
thought about this. Jesus, as far as we know, never wrote a song. But more music has been written about Jesus than any other subject. As far as we know, Jesus never wrote a book. But more books about Jesus have been written than any other subject or person. Jesus, I don't think, ever painted a picture. You know, maybe he did as a little kid, a little stick figure and gave it to Mary. I don't know. But it probably would have been really good more than a stick figure because it was Jesus. But there's been more art about Jesus and Christianity than anything else. Jesus never traveled the world. And yet today, April 5th, 2015, he has followers in all corners of the world. He never traveled beyond, you know, a small region there. What happened? We got to ask ourselves the question, what happened? Well, the resurrection happened. These disciples of Jesus saw him and they took his charge and command to go take the gospel throughout the world. And it's been happening ever since. Truth is, news travels fast. News, good news, in this case, traveled really fast. Think about the good news of Jesus traveled without CNN, traveled without Fox News, tra traveled without smartphones, traveled without push notifications. Some of you are going, what's a push notification? Ask the person next to you, they'll explain it. But Jesus didn't have a PR guy or a marketing plan. He had a group of disciples that saw him risen from the dead. And they went and told what all that he had done. So it, it changed history. The next thing I want you to know is it changed billions of lives, starting with those first disciples. The first disciples were people just like you and me. They made mistakes. They failed. They failed Jesus in many ways and, and, and all scrambled the night that he was betrayed. They all bolted and, and ran, hightailed it out of there. And yet they had seen him resurrected from the dead and they, things began to click for him and understand what he was really about. And do you know that 11 of the 12 original disciples were all martyred for their faith? They were killed. Only John was not, was not killed. All the rest of them died pretty brutal deaths because it was in many ways illegal to follow Jesus at that time. The religious leaders didn't want them to talk about Jesus and the Romans didn't want to hear about this new king that was going to take over the Roman Empire. And so they all died a brutal death. Why did they do that? They'd seen the risen Christ. This is what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul, who wrote three quarters of the New Testament. And in our series, we're going to get to how Paul became a Christ follower in Acts chapter 9. Paul was a persecutor of Christians. He was a Jewish leader. And he thought he was doing God a favor by killing Christians. Can you, can you imagine that? He thought he was doing God a favor. He was going to stamp out this crazy uh, idea that this man had risen from the dead and, and this, this, this new thing that was happening. Here's what he pens. He says this. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. 
He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. There's so much evidence of the resurrected Jesus in that confession. The guy who was talking about James, James was Jesus's half brother. And he he didn't believe Jesus. He He was part of the problem at the beginning. He saw Jesus resurrected from the dead and said, wow, he's real. Paul, who was persecuting, Peter was the first to see him. I thought about this. It says 500 people saw him. Now, if I told you, stood up here and I said, guess what? I saw the president over at American Furniture Warehouse, right over here at 94th and Wadsworth. If I said that, you'd have a little, you know, you could question whether I really saw him or not. But if 500 people said that they saw the president at American Furniture Warehouse, that becomes a fact. It becomes a fact. 500 witnesses. 500 witnesses in a court of law today... You don't need that many. That's, that's an abundance of witnesses who saw him alive. So the early disciples, uh, Peter became, he, Peter was this guy who was all talk, no walk. He would boast of many big things and he would fail, boast, fail. Then he saw the resurrected Jesus and was willing to give his life from there. You're going to see that really cool uh, dramatized in the, in the AD series. The guy that plays Peter does a good job. John the Apostle. John the Apostle, in the first three years of ministry with Jesus, there was one time he wanted to call fire down from heaven on people who wouldn't believe in Jesus. That's not exactly how Jesus preached, right? Jesus, let's call fire down. Let's kill them all. Jesus like, you don't get it, dude. And ultimately, after the resurrection, John the Apostle became the apostle of love. And everything you read from John was about love and that God was love. He was transformed. Paul, as I told you, these guys were eyewitnesses and they were changed. They took the good news of Jesus and it spread like fire. That's what the book of Acts is all about. It's been spreading for the last 2,000 years. Do you know today there are over 2.3 billion Christians in the world? 2.3 billion. That's bigger than China. 2.3 billion Christians. That's bigger than the population of China. Actually, I'll sweeten the deal. It's bigger than China and Europe combined. You can follow me up on this if you want. It is actually 2.3 billion is more than China, Europe, and the United States together population. How did that happen? How How did this just blow up and go throughout the world? Do you know that the church of Jesus speaks more languages than the United Nations because he has people and followers in all over the world. And Jesus said that his gospel would be preached to the ends of the world, then the end will come. And we're getting closer and closer to where there is a church or, or followers of Jesus in every nation. That's why we as a, a church at Novation support and believe and pray for people going out into the world to share God's love. Everybody needs to hear the good news about Jesus. So it changed history. It's changed billions of lives. Guess what? It can change you. This good news, the resurrection of Jesus can change you. Whoever you are this morning, whoever you are, wherever you've been, 
Whatever you've done, listen, it's for you. It can change the worst of hearts. It changed me. 23 years ago, I got new life in Jesus. I was running from God in every direction I could. I was, every time I would think somebody would share God with me, I'd, la, 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 I don't want to hear it. You know, I'd run, run from God. And maybe that's some of you this morning. You're going, man, thanks for the pancake breakfast. Thanks for the Easter egg hunt. And I know it's Easter, but this makes me uncomfortable. I can relate. I got dragged to church when I was in the 10th grade. I thought it was the weirdest experience I ever had in my whole life. What in the world? Why are these people raising their hands? And do they all have a question at the same time? What's going on here? Somebody going to answer that guy's question? I thought it was bizarre, but I know this. I know that 23 years ago, I was purposeless. I tried to find purpose and meaning and and hope in, in everything that I could. I mean, go back in my life, I, I wanted to play baseball. I was an okay baseball player, so I played all the way up into college, and that fizzled out. So that made me very depressed. You put your identity in stock in a dream, and it dies, and it's like, what do I have left? And then I remember, this is true, some of you actually have been friends of mine long enough. I grew my hair out really long. This is in the 80s. I had killer Bon Jovi hair. I have pictures to prove it. Boom. It was used to put mousse in it and all this and let it dry. And we'd pick it out. And it was, it was in a band and stonewashed jeans and all that good stuff. Those are coming back. I saw somebody with some stonewashed jeans. Lord help us. Anyway. Um, but I, that fizzled out. Then I thought, you know what? I'll be, I'm going to go to acting school. and I'll be an actor. I had a dream of being a stand-up comedian. And that... Obviously didn't work out. So um, businessman, whatever it was, I was trying to find meaning and hope. And in October 26, 1992, I became a follower of Jesus. I gave up. And I said, God, I have questions galore about this and that. And, and I don't know about you and all of this, but I give you my life. I give you my life. Would you make what you want of my life and in that moment, I got a new start. I got this new life. I experienced that new beginning. Listen, my life has not been perfect since then. Becoming a follower of Jesus doesn't mean you're going to be perfect and you're not going to blow it. And that you're going to have everything figured out. Far from it. Following Jesus is actually, it's, it's not easy. But it's worth it. And it, it's, it makes life have true purpose. The people that knew me prior to uh, becoming a follower of Jesus. I remember going to a class reunion. And not only was I a Christian. But at this point I was already a pastor. I remember some guy came up to me. And he goes. Scott Applegate's a pastor? What the heck kind of church do you pastor at? You know he was picturing. I don't know. A kegger kind of church or something. But. God changes people. He changes lives. He changed mine. Listen. Can change yours. There's many other stories in this room of changed lives of people who following Jesus, believing in the, in the death and resurrection of Jesus, their life was changed. So how does this happen? Look with me on your notes. First of all, it redeems my past. The death and resurrection of Jesus redeems my past. Jesus was, was arrested at night. And on the night that he was arrested, 
He was brought before three religious trials and three Roman trials. Three different religious trials, three different Romans trials, six trials, and they could find nothing to convict him to crucify him. Six trials. What a sham that was, right? Then finally one accusation stuck that he agreed to. The accusation was that he claimed to be God. And he did claim to be God. God is our Savior. And in claiming to be God, that was blasphemy to the religious leaders. Pontius Pilate couldn't find anything to to send Jesus to his death. But he didn't want an uprising. So he washed his hands of Jesus' death. Said, his blood be on your hands and so forth. And walked away from it and agreed to it. And they, they let the Romans crucify him. Exactly as the people wanted. And when they would crucify somebody, a criminal, this is heavy. They would, before they even got to the cross, they would take hours to scourge that person. They would take a whip and they would, so cruel, they would put pieces of pottery, glass, and bam, whip. And so when the whip came back, it would just tear the flesh off. Somebody's back. Scripture says, and it was prophesied, and it was happened, in the, and we see to Jesus that they plucked out his beard. They made a crown of thorns, and they shoved it on his head. Little did they know that what they were doing was all part of the plan of God. So that you and I could have forgiveness. So that you and I could be redeemed. So that you and I could have our past present and future forgiven. So before we're too quick to judge the Romans or the religious people that did this to Jesus and say they they put him on the cross, ask yourself the question. We have to ask ourselves, who put Jesus on the cross? Was it the religious? Was it the Romans? I'll tell you this, I put Jesus on the cross. My sins, my My selfishness, my failure to love God and love people put Jesus on the cross. So did you. We're in this together. We put Jesus on the cross. But even in a bigger love story, God the Father put his son on the cross for us. He he loved you and I so much that he would give his son to go through that excruciating pain and what he went through so that we could be free. And I get it that you think, why? Why did it have to be so bloody? Why did it have to be this? Why couldn't he just sweep it under the rug and just say, you know, it's all good? Well, we're not God. God is holy and he's just, but he's also loving and merciful. And so he found a way in the cross to be true to both characteristics of who he is. In Isaiah 53, the book of Isaiah was written 600 years before Jesus came to the earth and it was prophesied in Isaiah 53 to a T all the suffering and things that Jesus was going to go through. And it says in there that it was the father's will that he be crushed on our behalf, that he laid on him the sins of us all. Wow. So it redeems my past. How does that happen? I give him my guilt and he gives me forgiveness. If you want him to experience the resurrection, give him your guilt. 
And he will give you forgiveness. He's already done everything. All he wants us to do is trust and believe today. It says this in the book of Ephesians. Speaking of God, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Wow. He bought us back out of the slavery to selfishness, the slavery to sin and said, here, get a new life. I've done it all. I don't know about you, but I know this to be true for me. My guilt, the, the things in my life that I'm not proud of, the things in my life that still try to haunt me, man. Guilt brings scars of shame and regret. Brings scars of shame and regret. Here's the good news. In, it, in the resurrection redeeming my past, I give him my shame and regrets. He gives me a clean conscience. You give him your shame and regret today, he'll give you a clean conscience. Could you imagine if all of your deepest, darkest secrets, all of your things that you've done that maybe you don't think anybody else has ever seen, things that you've thought, things that you've said, all of that, what if that was on a, on a home movie and they played it for everybody to see? We'd be like, oh my gosh, please turn that off. Somebody, break the DVD player. I don't want anybody to know that. It's because our conscience is not clean. But when you become a follower of Jesus and you trust what he did, he gives you a clean conscience. Look what it says in Hebrews. Speaking of the Old Testament, it says, Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. It was the great exchange. He gave his life for ours, for yours and mine. The perfect for the imperfect, the righteous for the unrighteous. And all God asks of you today is that you would come to him by faith. You don't have to clean yourself up. You, he'll do that. You don't clean yourself up. You can't. We've already proven that over and over again. But when you come to him by faith, he says this, give me your life. And some of us in this room feel like, man, my life is broken into pieces. It's like, okay, here's a shoebox full of pieces. Here, God, take it. You know what? He can take that life and resurrect it and give you a new life. Regardless of where you've been. He did it for me. My life was a shoebox full of pieces that I handed to him. And he gave me new life. He can do that for you as well. Trust him with it. Second thing, how the resurrection changes us, is it gives me power and purpose for the present. Not only does it redeem my past, but it gives me power and purpose for the present. Jesus told his disciples, you'll be filled with power. What kind of power? Maybe you say to yourself today, I can't change. And these addictions that I have are just too strong. My urges are too strong. My issues are too big. One of the things we like to say around here is we don't just have issues. Sometimes we have volumes, right? It's join the club. We can't. The more you can say I can't, but he can, the more you'll get it, what it means to follow Jesus. You can't, but he can't. He's promised to do that. What kind of power? 
This is what it says in Scripture. Paul prayed for the Ephesians. He said, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Please get that. Leave leave the Scripture up. The same power that raised a dead man. He was dead. We've all been to funerals and we've seen people dead. The power that took a dead man and raised him to new life, if you follow Jesus, lives in you. Let that sink in. You can't, but the power that raised a dead man from the grave can can get you through whatever it is you're going through. That'll give you the power to change, the power to persevere. Then it gives us purpose. What kind of purpose? I'll tell you two things about purpose. A real purpose to live for. A real purpose to live for. The reason I follow Jesus is he makes sense of life. No other worldview, no other religion, no other anything to me has ever made sense and answered the big questions of life. Jesus answers those big questions. And to me, that make, if a man dies and raises from the dead, enough said. I'm, I'm with him. I'm going to follow a man who said I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised to life. I'm with him. He gives us purpose to live for. He gives you and I a purpose that's going to outlive your career, outlive whatever amount of money you make, outlive your relationships, living with him in eternity. It's all wrapped up in the purpose that God gives us when we follow him. Here's what Jesus said. He said, if you try to hang on to your life, that was me prior to to coming to Jesus, those 23 years of life, I wanted to hang on to my life. I didn't want somebody else telling me what to do. Jesus said, if you want to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But check this out. But if you give up your life for my sake and the sake of the good news, you'll save it. The average lifespan of the average person is 77 years, somewhere in that neighborhood. You get about 70, 80, maybe you live longer, up to be 100, something like that. And then if you don't live your life with Jesus, you lose it. But if you give whatever amount of life you have left back to him, doesn't matter how young or how old you are in this room, you give it back to him, he says you'll save it in eternity with him forever. So then it gives us a purpose also that makes sense of my pain and my problems. I know there's a lot of pain and problems in this room. It's called being a human being. Welcome to life, right? Look what it says in 2 Corinthians about our pain and our problems. For those that will put their trust in Jesus, listen to this promise. For our present troubles are small and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Cliff notes on that verse, this isn't heaven. This, this life that we get, however long it is, is not heaven. And one of our biggest problems we make as human beings is we want to make this life heaven. So then when life is difficult, life doesn't go our way. Someone dies unexpectedly. We lose a job. We lose our health. A relationship breaks up. Whatever it is, we're disappointed. Like, wait, that's not supposed to happen. Well, Jesus said in this life, you're going to have trials, struggles, sorrow of many kind. But take courage. I've overcome the world. I'm going to give you an eternity with me that's sorrow and pain free. 
Trust me, he said. Life is a, a test, it's a trust, and it's a temporary assignment. It's a test, a trust, and a temporary assignment. So he gives us power and uh, purpose for our present. Lastly, it secures my future. The resurrection of Jesus secures our future. John the Apostle got a revelation from God of what heaven was going to look like. This is what he says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Wow. Back in the day, I don't know when this was, maybe 1920s, uh, the biggest college football butt whooping taken to the woodshed was Georgia Tech beat a Cumberland College 222 to nothing. Check this out. That's the scoreboard. I mean, no, 222 to nothing is, uh, that was not fun to be a Cumberland player that day. That means almost every time a play or a snap happened, Georgia Tech was scoring, stealing the ball, whatever, taking an interception back. I thought about this. What did Cumberland College think when they saw Georgia Tech on the schedule next year? You know, you've got to be kidding me, man. (laughs) Let's, let's, Let's play a high school or something. Come on. Think about that for a second. There are three things, three enemies, three opponents that got defeated by Jesus' death and resurrection. Three opponents. And these opponents, these enemies of ours, not one person in this room has a chance of defeating on your own. You have zero chance. But he defeated when you by faith come to him and say, I believe you defeated these in my place. First of all, sin's been defeated. You can write that down. Sin has been defeated. Sin needed to be defeated. You know why? It separates us from God. When Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. It is finished. That word, it is finished, in Greek is one Greek word, tetelestai. And what it literally means is the debt has been paid in full. Your debt's been paid in full. They used to, when you would be in the marketplace and you had your goods that you bought, they would stamp tetelestai on your package so that people knew that you weren't stealing them, that you had actually paid your debt. So here's a great modern illustration. You go to Sam's Club, you go to Costco, right? You got your little shopping cart. You get to the, to the door after you paid. And there's always a sweet little old lady there, right? And she looks over your stuff. She takes her yellow highlighter. Fuffing, she's saying to Tetelestai, your, your debt's been paid. Go on. Next time you go to Costco, share, you can share your faith with that lady. <laughs> Tell her it is finished. Jesus didn't say, it's almost finished. Now you go do your part. That's the biggest problem we make sometimes. He didn't say, it's almost finished, now you go finish the deal. No, he paid for it all. All you do is say, thank you, and I believe. And it begins to transform your life from there. Second opponent that's been defeated is Satan. Satan was defeated on the cross in the resurrection of Jesus. 1 John 3, 8, the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Listen, Satan's real, but he's a created being. 
And his day is coming when he's going to go to judgment. That day is coming. And in God's wisdom, I don't get it. He's got this little bit of realm that he gets to still do his deceiving and do his work. But he's defeated. He's a terrorist. He's a defeated foe. And when you follow Jesus, sin's been defeated. Satan's been defeated. Jesus said all authority has been given to him. And so when we're in him, that authority is in us. It's not us. We're not strong enough to defeat Satan. Jesus was, though. Then death has been defeated. That's an enemy in here. None of us have a chance of defeating either. I think Michael Jackson tried, right? And I'm not trying to be mocking that he created, that he spent all this money on this oxygen machine that was supposedly going to let him live, keep living and all that. And Sadly, we know how that turned out. It says in the book of Hebrews, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. That's the fear for all of us. It's the unknown. It's, ah. God wants you to know that death has been defeated. That you don't have to fear the day of your death. Jesus, at a funeral, told some ladies who were, they were weeping over the death of their brother. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, though you die, you'll live. Because here's the deal. We're all going to die physically, but you're not just a body. It's not just flesh and bones is not who you are. You have a soul. You were created by God with a soul. The part of you that dies is this shell of a body. As we progress in age and we get older and gray hair and things droop and drop and all this, you know, we're not the same muscular people we were. We, age has a way of letting us know we ain't getting out of here alive. However, that's your soul when you die, if you trust Jesus, that he defeated death, you'll go and be with him. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians. It says, then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, This scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting sting that results in death and the law gives sin its power. But thanks be to God. He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Someone had to take the sting. Jesus did when he died on the cross. Jesus experienced excruciating physical, emotional, and spiritual pain So he could defeat and destroy sin, Satan, and death. Our real enemies, our opponents. I want you to do something as we get ready to leave here today. I want you to check the scoreboard again. Remember Georgia Tech won 222 to 0? Check this scoreboard out. (laughs) It was Jesus, infinity, sin, Satan, and death, 0. Jesus is, is the victorious one. Nothing or anybody can take away from what Jesus did. And so when you're harassed by these enemies of sin and by the devil and by the the haunting fear of death, point them to the scoreboard. We do that at games sometimes, right? Somebody starts mocking your team, scoreboard, check the scoreboard. We need to check the scoreboard often. They've been defeated. These opponents are done if we will trust in him. I want you to stand to your feet with me.
just in this sacred moment right here, I want to pray. And there's an Easter prayer that will be coming up on the screen. And if today you're saying, you know what? I want the assurance that I'm, I'm with Jesus and let the resurrection and death and resurrection of Jesus change my life. To know that those enemies of mine have been defeated. Would you pray this prayer today from your heart with me? I'm going to pray it. You pray it with me and say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to trust you. Somebody, that might be for the very first time that you're praying something like this. Maybe you're even thinking, I don't know what I'm doing. and I don't want to be forced into praying something. I'm not trying to force you into anything. If God's moving on your heart, he's tugging on your heart, and you want that assurance, it's for you to receive. Pray this with me. Today, Lord Jesus, I'm trusting in you as my Savior. I confess that I've failed. I've sinned and fallen short of your glory. I need you to save me. I believe that you died for my sins and that you rose from the grave to free me. Today I give my life to you. I want to be your disciple and follow you as my Lord. I can't do this in my own strength. I need your spirit to fill and lead me. I'm trusting you with my life and trusting that you will take me to heaven when I die. Thank you for who you are and what you have done for me. In your name, amen.